Yeah, good morning, everybody. It's always a privilege to come before God's Word. I absolutely love a great story, and the Bible is the ultimate adventure story. I was thinking about it the other night, and the Bible has incredible things in it, things like a talking snake and a talking donkey. There's a young boy who kills a giant by throwing a stone at him. It has kings and queens, good guys, bad guys, mysteries, plagues, intrigues, wars. And we just heard about war this morning. It's, it's part of the bigger story of human life. Um, how about the giant fish that swallows a man and spits him out alive three days later? Uh, there are cities destroyed by fiery meters. Sorry, guys. Um, a woman who has turned into salt. You know, what's all that about? There's an amazing floating zoo. Who's been to see the movie Noah? Who's seen it? Who hated it like we did? <laughs> That's another story. How about the impenetrable, impenetrable wall around a city that fell down because some people shouted at it? There are strange, unearthly creatures with wheels and eyes and eyes within wheels and wheels within eyes. I've tried to imagine them before, but you can't, so don't try. A man who has turned into a strange feathery creature, a beast-like one. He's got feathers, but he eats grass like an ox, and then he's back, turned back into a man again. It tells of treasures unimaginable. There are gates made of pearls. There are streets made of gold. There's a man who can run at super speed. This is my favorite, the bodiless hands, fingers of a human hand that starts writing on a wall and tells the king that his days are numbered. There are constant magical and miraculous happenings. In the Bible story, the most powerful creature that ever lived is a lamb. We've sung about him this morning. Men are thrown into a furnace, but they're not burned. It has the dead coming back to life. There's a beast with ten heads. I mean, it sounds like any horror movie that we've... Well, we don't watch horror movies, obviously, but we've ever heard about. The mightiest king of all time has eyes made of fire. And much, much more. But most of all, it's the ultimate love story between the one true God and mankind. The story is ongoing, and we are part of it. And we heard about that with what Ernie said this morning, you know, about the photos... We are a smaller story within the bigger story, but it's all part of the story. Every time we hear a message, we are hearing a story within the bigger story, and we're going to look at one such story this morning. A long time ago, there were two kings. At different periods in history, they both got into shipbuilding for the same purpose, to further their kingdom's power and wealth. They both chose to, launch, to build and launch their ships in the same harbour, which was the most important seaport at Old Palestine at the time. Sorry, it's distracting, isn't it? Will you? Okay. He's going to fix me. Better? Okay, I'm sorry I'm crackling at you. Okay, so these two kings both chose to build and launch their ships in the same harbour. Um, one man succeeded... One man failed. The reason for the success and the reason for the failure is the same reason. Let's look first at the man who succeeded. In 1 Kings 9, we read that 
King Solomon succeeded in the building of a fleet of ships in the harbor at Ezion Geba. And I don't know how to pronounce that, but that's how I'm going to say it today. Then he set out on the high seas. They brought back approximately 450 talents of gold. Now, for all your accountants out there, a talent was worth approximately 50,000 New Zealand dollars. So, 22.5 million in our dollars they brought back in gold. Solomon bought, built ships that withstood every circumstance that came against them. Was there a secret to his success? And 1 Kings 9.27 says, And Hiram sent his men, sailors who knew the sea, to serve in the fleet with Solomon's men. The key to Solomon's success was that he used experienced shipmen who knew the sea. Now, it's interesting to note that it doesn't say men who knew the ship or new ships or men who knew the harbor. It says men who knew the sea. Now, the sea is where the ship would be tested and where it would experience the storms and everything that could come against it. Uh, we will come back to that in a bit, but let's look first at the man who failed. In 1 Kings 22.48, it says, King Jehoshaphat built a fleet of trading ships to go to Ophir for gold but they never set sail. They were wrecked at Ezion Geba before they even left the safety of the harbour. They were wrecked. Now, how could Jehoshaphat build ships in the same place for the same purpose with the knowledge of Solomon's success before him and yet fail? Once again, Scripture gives us the key. And 2, Chron- 2 Chronicles 20, 35-37 says this, And after this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. He acted wickedly in doing so. So he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezi and Geba. Then Eliza prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. So the ships were broken and could not go to Tarshish. Tarshish. To be allied to someone, someone, according to the dictionary, means to be joined, united as by treaty, um, agreement, or marriage. Solomon succeeded because he had people around him who could help him navigate the storms and problems he would face in the future. Jehoshaphat failed because he formed an alliance with a wicked man. His ships never fulfilled the purpose for which they were built. The success and failure of each man was due to the people they had built into their lives. People whom they had allied themselves. Now when reading scripture, it's always you always get that little bit more if you look and see what a name means. And the harbour of Ezion Geba means backbone of a mighty one or strength, courage, strength of character and courage. So not only what but who we build into our lives will determine our strength of character. What a lesson. The same principle still applies today. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? You can't get much more extreme than the difference between light and darkness. Listen to this from an article called The Power of Association. Have you ever seen or heard of someone working to get sober from alcohol, clean from a drug or free of a destructive habit, only to have their old friends 
bring them back in by using the substances around them. The power of the people around them and unwillingness to separate from their influence determine their failure. The people that surround you influence your path, your attitude, your determination, your belief. Aren't we all here today because of a belief? Your inspiration and ultimately the outcome of your success. Solomon and Jehoshaphat built the same thing, but on different foundations. And Jesus talked about this in a very well-known parable. Matthew 7, 24 to 27 is usually called the parable of the wise and foolish builders, but it's also about the two foundations. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. It's important to note that both houses got the same treatment. Rain, floods and slamming winds. We know all about that here in Wellington. Putting the words of Jesus into active practice in our lives is how we build on the rock. Being careful who we allow to be influential in our lives is how we build on the rock. Now, it's not saying don't have friendship with unbelievers. It's vital that we do. We need to be salt and light to them. We have, you know, sometimes we enjoy um, hanging out with non-Christian people. They bring a more honest perspective to us. They keep us real. But what it's specifically warning us against is alliances with unbelievers. When there's a joining together in a legal or highly influential sense, um, as in a romantic relationship, a business partnership, or going uh, financially together with somebody. If you're dating a non-Christian, for example, you're giving them influence over your heart. The Bible tells us to guard our heart with all diligence, for out of it the issues of life flow Charles Bridges wrote a classic work on Proverbs and refers to the heart as the citadel of man. Now, a citadel is a fortress that defends a city. Issues of the heart defend or ruin our lives. Listen to what he says about guarding our heart. Let it be closely garrisoned. Let the sentinel be never sleeping on his post if the heart be seized the whole person, the affections, the desires, the motives and pursuits, all will be yielded up. The natural heart is a fountain of poison. The purified heart is a well of living water. As is the fountain, so must be the streams. As is the heart, so must be the mouth, the eyes and the feet. Therefore, above all keeping, keep thine heart. Oops. Sorry, I'm standing in the gap there. Another way to build our lives on the rock is to learn from those who have succeeded in the Christian life. As Solomon learnt from his father David. He saw how David had succeeded in getting on the throne of Israel. In Chronicles 12.32, it says, David had built around him men that had understanding of the times who knew what Israel ought to do. 
Now it's never too late to strengthen our foundations and it's never too late to build on the rock. Now here's another good reason to to build good people around you. The buddy system is essential to your survival. It gives the enemy somebody else to shoot at. Here we go. <laughs> now this is one of the reasons it's nice having Bruce around because he's taller than me and he, uh, he takes more of the heat. <laughs> we are like the foolish builder if we think that the storms won't happen to us that we're immune because we're God's special chosen people. Now here's an example of winds beating against somebody's life. A man named Brian Heiss from Utah had a bad day. First his apartment became flooded from a broken pipe in the apartment above his. When he went to rent a water vacuum, he discovered he had a flat tire. He changed it, went inside again to phone a friend for help, but standing in water and grabbing the phone gave him such a startling electric shock that he accidentally ripped the phone off the wall. By the time he was ready to leave, water damage had swelled his door shut, so he had to yell for a neighbour to come and kick his door down. While all this was going on, somebody stole his car. That evening, he attended a military ceremony at his university and injured himself severely by accidentally sitting on his bayonet. This is apparently a true story. Now, doctors could stitch up his wound, but no one was able to resuscitate his four canaries who were crushed by falling plaster from the ceiling. When he got back from the university, he slipped on the wet carpet and injured his tailbone. Brian said he began to wonder if God wanted me dead but just kept missing. (laughs) So what is the purpose of storms that we have in in the natural around us? Well, fire stimulates regrowth. And I remember Karen doing an amazing message a couple of years ago about that, you know, the effects of forest fires and how it brings new growth. Water purges and cleanses. Uh, Isaiah 43, 2, God promises... When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they won't overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. There are two words to take particular note of here. When and through. When, like the storms in the parable, means it's inevitable that difficulties are going to come. I've been a Christian for 36-something years and I'm still surprised and see other people around me surprised when something, you know, happens or goes awry or goes wrong. So, whoa, what's going on here? They're inevitable. And the word through means, hallelujah, it's not permanent. It's also inevitable that the storm will pass. Do I hear a hallelujah or an amen out there? Thank you. I love um, some of Winston Churchill's sayings. He says, if you're going through hell, keep going. You're going through it. You know, sometimes we think I'm stuck here. Keep going. You'll come out the other side. Now let's look at the storm from God's viewpoint for a moment. In Isaiah 55.8, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. I think we forget this sometimes. Now, our idea, and maybe I shouldn't speak for you, and I'll say my idea of what's good and just and right is that if God was good, he wouldn't let this terrible thing happen to me. 
But what God thinks of what is good and just as right is he can see the eternal weight of glory that this is going to work in my life. So there's no downside. And we just sung this morning about he works all things together for good. So where's the downside? God is a big picture thinker. And I love this verse, Isaiah 45, verse 3. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it, is, that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by name. That's the hobbit finding the ark stone, or the dwarf finding the ark stone. <clears throat> Excuse me. All we see is the darkness when we're in those times. God sees the darkness as a vehicle to get us to that treasure. So how do we prepare for the storms in life? First of all, we understand that they're going to come, that they come to everybody. It's not God. It's not the devil as much as we seem to like to think. It's an amazing, incredible, awful, wonderful thing called life. Life is chaos. Bruce made a very interesting comment one day about Paul the Apostle with everything he went through, and he went through a shipwreck, he went through a snake bite, he had people plotting to kill him and vowing they weren't going to eat until he was dead and he didn't die, so we wonder what happened to them. Um, he, he was beaten many times, he spent a lot of his life in prison. Virtually none of it he attributed to the devil. He just called them hardships, hardships of life. We live in a fallen world with fallen people. The planet under our very feet here is subject to laws of nature. Things like gravity, motion, which we know a lot about here in Wellington, fluids, gases, heat, energy and chemistry. Now when people clash with one of these laws of nature, there's often a negative result. As the people of Christchurch, for instance, found out. The part of the planet they lived on happened to be subject to certain laws of gravity and motion. It wasn't the devil punishing them for something. It wasn't God bringing some judgment. It was life. And there could be bits of those other things in there too for various people. But So how would it work if once a person became a Christian, nothing bad ever happened to them again? Do you think we'd have more people sitting in here this morning? We'd have more people signing up for the cause? Of course they would. Everyone would want to be a Christian for all the wrong reasons. The miracle that God provides us is what he brings out of the difficulties in life for us. Being in Christ does not save us from the storms. He specifically warned us about this over and over again. Rick Warren puts it this way. Rather than life being like hills and valleys, I believe that it's kind of like two rails on a railroad track and at all times you have something good and something bad in your life. No matter how good things are in your life, there is always something bad that needs to be worked on. And no matter how bad things are in your life, there is always something good you can be thankful for. I learned a powerful lesson in this many years ago when a huge storm had blown through my life and I was left shattered. There was a woman in the, a woman in the church that I went to who, to me, had it all. You know, she was... Um, popular and had a great husband and wonderful kids and uh, she was attractive and vivacious and just everybody wanted to be around her. 
They had their own home. They had money. It seemed from my eyes, from my side of the fence, that she had the perfect life. At the time, I was a single mother with three young children and no money. God really does have his favorites, I thought to myself. I know you people never think things like that. But I thought, it's not fair. The green-eyed monster had come calling, and I'd opened the door and let him in. Now, one day, I was having some time with her, and we're chatting, as you do, and she ended up telling me about her childhood, and it was horrendous. Uh, She was abused by several close relatives, and her father had left her mother when she was quite young, um, and she was, so she'd never known him, and she was still dealing with the fallout from that. So, um, as he does, God spoke to me very clearly through this about comparing myself or my life with somebody else's life, and he said this, if you want what she has, then you would have had to go on, go on the journey she's been on to get it. If you want what she has, you would have had to have go on the journey she's been on to get it. My attitude changed immediately. Even though things were rough for me at the time, I'd had a wonderful childhood and my father was the light of my life. He was still with my mum and he was there for me all his life and I realised that I had a lot to be thankful for. Now I'm coming to a close here. Just so, you know, for those of you who like to watch the time like I do when I'm listening to a message, storms, <laughs> storms come in all shapes and sizes. The financial matters, health problems, job difficulties, relationship issues, loss of loved ones, as we've heard about this morning. Some storms are just inconvenient. Others leave a little damage, but it can be fixed. And other storms change our lives forever. But even then, all is not lost. Jesus is always at work on us, in us, and for us. He can rebuild a completely shattered life. I know that. I've been on the potter's wheel. I've had my life as I knew it, everything, almost everything, stripped away and been totally rebuilt. The miracle of life in God is not that he takes us out of the path of the storm, but he makes a way through it. And, as we heard this morning, he works it for our good even if the circumstances don't change, which obviously they can't in some circumstances, he can change how we feel about them. Who you allow to influence in your life is vitally important. Steve Farrer wrote a book called How to Ruin Your Life by 30, and I'd love to do that, go over that with the youth sometime. And he lists nine mistakes that Christians commonly make, and one of them is isolating themselves from Christian community. Now, if God's been shoulder-tapping you this morning, as he does sometimes when we hear messages of think, oh, I was jealous of somebody, or, oh, yeah, there's that person in my life that maybe shouldn't be, uh, we'd obviously love to pray with you. Uh, you might be aware of a relationship or alliance that God is wanting you to rethink, or maybe you're going through a storm or have been through one and are still trying to deal with it. And here's what I felt we should do is uh, and if the music team could come up and just lead us in a couple more songs. Um, the, the last two songs are amazing. I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted, and then there's, uh, there's one more after that we didn't do this morning. Um, I, I was woken up at 3 o'clock this morning as 
God often does to me. He seems to not be able to get my attention at any other time of the day, so I suffer for it. And I saw a picture of Paul and Silas in jail. They were in chains. They were singing. They were singing songs to God. There was a violent earthquake, and suddenly their chains fell off. And the words I heard with the picture were this, and I believe this is uh, for us this morning, was worship with intent. I believe what, what, what God wants us to do is whatever you're going through, make this time, and I know we've already worshipped this morning, but make this time a deliberate act of worship. When we, we sing this song, you think of that situation and you have it in front of you and you deliberately worship over it. God promises that he's enthroned on the praises of his people and there's, there's great power in this. If you want prayer, then you look around and you see someone who's worshipping and you ask God, say, you know, tell you which person you should go to for prayer because there'll be somebody here who has the anointing to pray for your situation. So you ask God who you should pray for. Um, or after the service, of course, come to any of us and have a chat and, and get prayed for. But let's not leave without um, dealing with it if God's been tapping on the shoulder this morning. Don't hesitate. Thank you very much. God bless.